Welcome to the 216th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will have the first of our four special college football preview editions, where we will start by taking a look at changes to Division I football, and there have been a lot, and there's more to come, and a look at the Big 12 Conference. So let's jump right in with a look at those changes to Division I NCAA football, start, or should we call it football bowl subdivision, uh, with new teams that have joined Division I, Patrick. Yeah, you got to start with Sam Houston State, who Sam Houston State, Sam Houston, they've kind of flip-flopped on what that official name is for a while. Um, but this program has a really, really good history in uh, the FCS. They had a D1 FCS title in 2020. They claimed one in 1964, but I think that's the same as all those old titles that other teams claim, where there were multiple polls back then in the FCS as well. Um, and they will be competing uh, in the CUSA this year, along with the new entry, Jacksonville State, who isn't quite as successful as uh, Sam Houston. They've they've not been just dominated by only North Dakota State. They're definitely not a top, top-tier team. Uh, but they do have one title. It was a Division II title in 1992, um, and their coach is Rich Rodriguez, who went 9-2 who went in his first season. So they do have, uh, obviously, a coach who is used to the D1, uh, D1 proceedings and all that. But Sam Houston is much more of a stable, long-term program. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how those two factor in in the CUSA. I don't think I have either of them being amazing. I think, yeah, I have Sam Houston being 5-7 and seven and Jacksonville State going 3-9. and nine. I'll say that now because we're only going to have one podcast uh, for the group of five, and I probably won't mention middle tier uh, in the middle of conferences teams. Um, so I, I do have them having solid season. Sam Houston is kind of... They have a rough schedule, I believe. I, I think I have them going 1-3 and three in the non-conference, and the one team that they uh, play non-con that they have beating, I think, is a D2 team. So not exactly the uh, the easiest schedule that they're playing, but at the same time, we'll see what happens. Uh, James Madison obviously entered D1 last year and went 6-5 and five and would have been in a bowl game had it not been for that really dumb rule that you can't be postseason eligible in your first season. Um, of a D1 sport, which is just really odd, especially because these teams are actually already D1 and they're moving from a subdivision of D1 to a different subdivision. Makes a little more sense in basketball, but it's still stupid because, if anything, people should be happy that new teams are competing with teams that have been established. But that's a different story, but uh, we'll see how these two teams fare. The CUSA definitely going through a lot of changes, though. All right, well, speaking of changes, there's been... uh couple of changes in a couple conferences, one as to how they uh, how they play their schedule, and, and, and two common changes in terms of determining a conference champion. So let's talk about those changes in major conferences. Well, the Pac-12 eliminated the divisional model that has been the same since last year, I believe, but they've used it for scheduling still, which is a little bit odd, but the top two records in the conference will advance to the championship game. Went under the radar last year because they were the only conference to do it that obviously, unlike, you know, the Big 12 had already done it, but the ACC hadn't done it yet. I think the Big Ten has discussed it for the future, but it hadn't been done by any of the other major conferences that, you know, unlike the Big 12 who had done it in the past when they moved down from the original 12 teams when Nebraska and Colorado left. Um, but they eliminated the divisional model for that reason. And last year, actually, it was two teams from the two old North and South. It was UC USC, excuse me, in Utah. Um, so it didn't matter last year. It might matter this year. We'll have to see. It just depends. Uh, but it will be the top two in the championship game. And also, the ACC has adopted that model where the top two records in the conference will advance to the championship game. 
No more Clemson dominating their division and playing a very bad team from the other division because of the way that the scheduling worked. Uh, there will be the two best teams competing, uh, waiting for the SEC and the Big Ten to do this. I feel like it makes a lot of sense, especially when your conference is 16 teams or 14 teams or whatever it may be for those teams in a few years. I mean, the Big Ten already is 14 teams, so it already shouldn't have divisions. And as we know, the West and the East are wildly unbalanced. Um, but both of those conferences might move to the divisionless model soon. They probably should have already. Um, and then the ACC has also gone to the 3-5-5 scheduling method, which that accommodates that schedule where uh, because of the 13 other, if you count, if you pretend that you are a team, your team A, there are 13 other teams. 3-5-5 is that you have three protected rivals, five teams that you play for a two-year span on a home-and-home, and, home, and then the other five teams in the league will rotate um, the other two years. So you'll never go three years without playing any team um, and you will play your rivals every year, which I think is a pretty good scheduling model. And, you know, if you are a kid in college, it's not possible for you to not play, you know, if you go out of state or something like that and you are uh, grow, you grew up a Clemson fan, it's not possible for you to not play, let's say, Pitt, if that's where you ended up going. I mean, you could bring up a lot of scenarios of how that can be beneficial, but I like that scheduling method. It's a pretty good way to deal with not having the divisions and pretty, pretty easily keep it balanced if they're actually able to have a good rating model to balance the teams and balance the schedules. Yeah, and a lot of conferences, uh, some of them have announced they are going to go to that type of a protected rivalry or some kind of hybrid of that um, in the future because of conference realignment, whether or not they're getting rid of divisions. So speaking of conference realignment, let's talk about uh, what it seems to be the hot topic even as recently as yesterday uh, with teams either jumping conferences this year or announcing it in the future. Patrick, let's start in the Big 12. Well, we starting we are starting in the Big 12 because that's what we're going to be talking about in this podcast, and we're talking about it because it fits well. They are losing two teams, and they're adding, well, they're adding four this year, they're losing two next year, and they're actually adding another one next year, and probably a second, maybe a third and a fourth, but that hasn't been announced yet. But I'll start with the arrivals that we know. That is BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, those four teams, joining three of them from the American, BYU from the ranks of the independents. Uh, for BYU, it will be easier for them to get a schedule because they don't have to go out and do it themselves. They have a set uh, nine-game schedule of the teams in their conference and then the three other non-conference teams. I bet they will still keep their rivalry going with Utah, so that's probably 10 games pretty much every year that are solidly decided already. And also, when you consider the fifth team that's coming into the Big 12, which is Colorado in 2024, there's a good chance that maybe the Big 12 goes and they get Utah, and that means that the BYU-Utah rivalry is back in the same conference, which would be a lot easier, and also it would solve the problem of people being a little bit upset of the two departures, which are Oklahoma and Texas, who are leaving in 2024. Uh, those two leaving eliminates every single Texas in-state rivalry. Uh, Texas versus Texas Tech won't be a thing anymore. Texas versus TCU won't be a thing. Uh, Texas-Oklahoma will continue on in the SEC, but... Oklahoma won't play Oklahoma State anymore, so a lot of good rivalries that are going away as a result of that. I bet the Big 12 would want to replace that with Utah maybe coming into the Big 12. We'll see if that is the maybe other team that they add, but I would have a hard time believing they're going to stick at 13 teams. It's a very odd team uh, number, and you know if they can help it, I bet they probably will, and maybe it's Utah, maybe it's Washington, maybe it's Oregon, maybe it's Arizona. There are a lot of teams that honestly could make sense for that. 
Um, and, you know, there. I mean, if you really want to go off the board, you could say that the Big 12 could try to persuade Nebraska to leave the Big 10 and come back. Or Notre as, Dame. As the Big 10 could add a team like Notre Dame or even get Florida State because they're trying to leave the ACC. So there are a lot of different possibilities with that. Um, but for now, that's all we know with the Big 12. And then, as a result, the SEC, they are not, le- they are not losing anybody for very obvious reasons. Uh, definitely dominating the football landscape, which is pretty much the college athletics landscape as a whole because of how much money it brings in. Oklahoma and Texas are coming in in 2024. It will be a 16-team conference. Uh, They've had the schedules announced for it uh, already, but we're not going into all the rules changes that come with that because it's not relevant to this year. Uh, Same thing with the Big Ten. UCLA and USC joining in 2024. Not losing anybody, as we know currently. Uh, The Pac-12... Still looking for members and a TV contract, but they are losing UCLA, USC, and at least Colorado in 2024, all of those teams, um, and potentially more after Colorado. But once again, just depends on who the Big 12 decides is the team they might want to accept. The ACC is the only conference that for now remains completely unchanged, which is surprising. Um, But then you have the CUSA. This one, by quantity, has the most changes, and it's not really very close. Uh, As we said, Sam Houston, Jacksonville State joining from the FCS. Then you have Liberty joining from the Independence, New Mexico State joining from the Independence, and then Kennesaw State is joining in 2024 when they move up to FBS. So three new FCS, three new teams that were FCS, now FBS, joining the Conference USA. Uh, and as a result of the fallout from the American and from the Big 12, there was a giant domino effect, uh, and it caused basically half of the CUSA to leave. They lost Charlotte, FAU, Marshall, North Texas, Old Dominion, Rice, Southern Miss, UAB, and UTEP. So, a lot of schools leaving. That is nine schools that left the conference all in one year. Uh, So they had to do something to replace them. They became the safe haven for teams moving up to D1 and the independents who uh, probably have been looking for a good fit for a while but couldn't find one. Um, And then in the American, speaking of all those teams... Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA are replacing UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, who obviously all left for the Big 12. And then the American is keeping it at an uh, at an even number, but adding uh, more teams to kind of avoid that fallout in the future. So they have an interesting little conference going on there now. It's just a lot. There's a lot of random teams in the American that all have had many, many previous uh, conference ties and everything. And then... Finally, you have the Sun Belt, who somehow has none in football uh, leaving the conference, but Little Rock and UT Arlington are leaving in basketball, which you never know how that could affect if they ever move up to D1 in football. Um, But arrivals, they have James Madison, who took one year to move from FCS to FBS and now are moving from one conference to the next already. And then they have Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss all leaving from CUSA to join them. Uh, That makes them a really strong conference, I will say. The Sun Belt kind of won the war of, of them versus the CUSA in terms of which is kind of the worst conference, and it's really, really important because those teams are located in the same area, and getting the better teams will probably mean that if one of those conferences were to go away, the team that ha- the one that has more value in it probably is the one that would stick around, and that looks like it would be the Sun Belt as of now because of just the amount of teams that they have, the better quality teams, you know, already having Coastal Carolina, Troy, better football programs overall. Um, that really benefits them. And they already had App State, too, so they're no, they're no strangers to uh, new D1 admits joining their ranks. 
Yeah, I somebody should play Jeopardy with with what teams are in what conferences this year, especially those uh, those latter ones. Very confusing. Gonna need a cheat sheet. Gonna take a while to get used to it, and by the time you memorize it, it probably is going to change. And it is interesting that of all conferences, it feels like in terms of the group of five and the and the power five, if you took them in two groups, the MAC and the ACC are probably the least talked about because they don't have people leaving, they don't have people joining, and in terms of overall competition. They don't really, the MAC doesn't really ever produce amazing teams, and the ACC really doesn't outside of Clemson either, so it's kind of funny that both of those teams are, both of those conferences, excuse me, are very, very quiet. All right, well, that uh, takes, uh, that, that, that wraps up the look at conference realignment and additions to Division One. Let's turn our attention to the Big 12 conference preview, starting with the toughest schedule. To me, I think Texas has the hardest schedule uh, in the whole Big 12. They have that non-conference game against Alabama, which kind of really seals this for them because they already do have a tough schedule within the conference by playing Oklahoma, by playing Kansas State, by playing Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU. Uh, in my standings, which we're going to get to in a little bit, uh, they play all the top six teams except one, and the top six team they don't play is it's themselves. So they really can't get any harder of a schedule in conference than you throw in the Alabama factor on top of that, and it's just not really, I mean, yes, it is possible to have a harder schedule, but within this conference, there's not much else you could do, um, and even the way that it skews in terms of home and road games is not necessarily uh, in their favor. Obviously, that game against Oklahoma is always uh, a neutral site game, but their game against Alabama is on the road, their game against Baylor is on the road. Uh, their game against TCU is on the road, so three of their tougher opponents are road games, and then you have the Oklahoma game as a neutral site. Uh, the only benefit they have is that they get Kansas State at home rather than being on the road, but the teams they play at home, they probably would beat regardless, maybe except for Kansas State. I mean, BYU, uh, Kansas, Wyoming, and Rice are, are the main ones, and then Texas Tech also. I think they'd be able to beat all of those teams at home uh, on their own, but the fact that they don't get those home games against those other teams is... Pretty tough for them because home field advantage obviously plays a big role in who wins games in college football. Um, and then outside of that, uh, I, I guess you can say Kansas has a pretty tough schedule. Uh, they don't have as hard of a schedule as Texas does, but because they're a less talented team across the board, they'll probably do worse in terms of versus the expectations of them uh, than Kansas will or than Texas will, in my opinion. A lot of people will have Kansas as maybe a near the top of the conference team with one of the better returning quarterbacks, a lot of returning production, I believe top 10 in the country in that regard. But to me, this is probably a seven or an eight win team at best, because I think last year we saw that once they got, once, you know, once it got to be a tougher schedule for them, I think they were five and over six and zero to start the year. They kind of unraveled from there. Um, so I'm not so strong of a believer in them and their schedule is just brutal. I mean, they have Illinois in the non-conference, they even have a road game at Nevada. It's not Nevada's not necessarily a top-of-the-line team, but they're a good enough team to maybe challenge you, give you a hard time. At least it's a Mountain West team, not just you know a pushover like well, like uh, Missouri State, who they play in their first game. Uh, but outside of the non-conference, that Illinois game might be tough. Illinois is kind of an interesting team to look out for this season, based on what they lost on defense and in terms of running back production and being basically a running team, but then seeing that they didn't really have the production in the first place last year offensively, so we'll see what they can do to reload on defense, but the rest of Kansas' schedule is pretty tough in conference because they also play the top six 
teams pretty much. They play Texas, they play Oklahoma State, they play Oklahoma, they play Texas Tech, they play Kansas State, and then they play UCF. The only one in the top six they don't play is TCU, and I think TCU is, I have them tied with UCF, Texas Tech, and Baylor in the overall standings anyway, so not that big of a difference, but they don't really get many benefits. They play a lot of the tough, they play their tougher teams at home and the easier teams on the road, which I always argue is a bad thing because I would like to just say, you know, you're playing teams that you're evenly matched with, give us the home field advantage, we're going to win the game. But, you know, yeah, maybe that swings the, the Texas Tech game in their favor. Sure, I can, I can see something like that. I, I do have that happening, I believe. Um, but I don't see, or actually I don't have that happening. But, you know, for an Iowa State, for example, that game might become a trap game when it should be an easy win. The Oklahoma game at home is probably a loss despite the fact that they should win that game. Um, so it's interesting how their schedule skews based on home and away, but I think that overall Kansas definitely has a schedule up there uh, with Texas for the toughest in the Big 12, and there's not really much debating there. So you got Texas with the uh, toughest schedule in the conference. Who's got the easiest schedule in the Big 12 in your mind? Well, it's funny. There's an argument between probably their biggest rival and then that team's second biggest rival, but I'm going to give it to Oklahoma State uh, because they play Oklahoma as always, but it isn't the final game of the season as it normally is, which is kind of an interesting wrinkle. I think that has to do with uh, Oklahoma and them, le- Oklahoma and, o- and Texas leaving, which means that they had to shuffle around the schedule and they're probably going to try to change what are the last games of the year and make them more primetime matchups rather than rivalries, which is interesting. But Oklahoma State gets Oklahoma at home. Uh, Oklahoma also is definitely a downgrade from the, the, the Lincoln-Riley Oklahoma that we're used to seeing. Um, and just in terms of everything else, their non-conference is not very strong. Uh, their toughest opponent in the non-con is Arizona State. And they play Central Arkansas to begin the season. They play South Alabama, too, who is actually going to be a pretty good team this year, but not good enough to beat Oklahoma State on the road. Um, And then in terms of the teams that they play, I I have them playing all of my bottom six teams. So literally the polar opposite of Texas, who plays all of the top, who plays all the top six teams. Uh, They play every new entry to the conference. They play UCF, they play Houston, they play BYU, and they play Cincinnati, which is pretty interesting. Um, And then they also play Iowa State and West Virginia, And then outside of that, yes, they have Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Kansas. But when you consider the fact that they have the four new entries who are arguably supposed to be in the bottom, the middle part of the conference, and then just OU, K-State, and Kansas as their tough games, they really dodged a bullet because other than the new entries, they definitely play the worst remaining teams in the Big 12 uh, in Iowa State and West Virginia. So just overall, it's just not a hard schedule whatsoever. I mean, I I have... If you look at my overall standings, which we're going to discuss soon, I have the three. I have three of the four new entries, and then I have Iowa State and West Virginia making up that bottom five. So they do play truly the bottom bottom of the conference. And then OU is a close second um, in that department. I just think that the one thing that pushes them over is that they have to play Texas, who is the preseason favorite. Uh, but that's obviously a rivalry, an annual rivalry. So this is really not. This is a really easy all-time Oklahoma schedule. Uh, in terms of the fact that they play the two games that they have always played, and instead of playing some of the tougher teams in conference and some tough non-conference games, they play Arkansas State, SMU, and Tulsa out of conference, and then in conference, they get all of the bottom teams. They get BYU, uh, they get West Virginia, they get Iowa State, they get Cincinnati, uh, they also get Kansas. The only team that, that, they, would, uh, replay, that they would like to replace uh, is maybe switching TCU 
for Houston, and that is the reason why Oklahoma's is slightly tougher than Oklahoma State, or, or sorry, why Oklahoma State's is slightly tougher than Oklahoma's. Uh, but there's still a close second uh, in that department. But overall, two easy schedules for both of the Oklahoma schools. Okay. Uh, well, let's see who you think is the biggest challenger to uh, finish in first place. Well, if we're counting Texas as the champs, which we'll get to in a second, uh, and ignoring the tie that I have at the top of the conference, the two biggest challengers are going to be Kansas State and Oklahoma. Oklahoma, because my, my, that schedule is easy, as we just talked about, and they really only have to win one big game to kind of secure their spot. They can drop the game to TCU really easily, and as long as they're able to beat Texas, really does not matter what happens in the rest of their schedule, to be honest, as long as they can keep one or two losses uh, at the maximum. And then Kansas State just has the best roster in the Big 12, in my opinion, um, maybe except for Texas, and Texas is obviously the team that I have as being the winners, um, But and we'll talk about that more in a second, but I, I think Texas is a little more volatile because Quinn Ewers had the moments of growth, he's shown the potential, but he's got to put it all together and actually put it to get, show it on the field that he can play like that for a whole season if they're going to win, whereas Will Howard at Kansas State has already done that, and they don't lose as much talent uh, as a lot of the other teams in the Big 12, especially TCU, do. Uh, in terms of the dark horses, I'm going to say Texas Tech, TCU, and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, as I said, easiest schedule by far, uh, so that helps them, and they also have a coach who is used to competing at the top of the Big 12, and Mike Gundy, they're used to this kind of, uh, you know, and maybe part of it is also that they might be a little bit pissed off by the fact that they're losing Oklahoma, and they might play with a little chip on their shoulder, especially in that game, which they get at home this year and just in all their games this season and say that the easy schedule is enough uh, to propel them to a good season. But they do lose their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, from last year. So not necessarily the best starting uh, position in terms of the most important position on the field. Um, and then you have TCU. They lost a ton of production from their roster that made the playoff. But at the same time, they were still pretty far ahead of every other team other than Kansas State. So I'll say they might be able to continue their success. And then you have Texas Tech, who would be the shocking team that is just motivated with a lot of momentum from the end of the season last year, who could also challenge as a dark horse. Yeah, I've got to say I'm not a TCU believer. They they won a lot of close games. I remember the frantic game at the end uh, where they kicked a game-winning field goal, and they have lost so much talent, including the heart and soul of their team at quarterback, who really willed them to victory in a bunch of games. So um, I'm, I'm going to say I look for – and also TCU is going to be the hunted now. Everybody's been going to be coming after them. They made the playoff. They won the conference championship. So I look for TCU. If you ask me one of the teams to have the biggest fall-off in college football from last year, TCU is probably at the top of my list. But um, I'm not going to disagree with you on your other picks. All right, so with all that being said, who do you pick to win the conference? Well, I have it being a three-way tie uh, at the top. I have Kansas State finishing 9-3, and three, Texas finishing 9-3, and three, and Oklahoma finishing 10-2, and two, who are all going 7-2 and two in Big 12 play. Uh, but the way that the tiebreakers shake out, I have Oklahoma losing to Texas. They don't play Kansas State, uh, so that gives them 0-1 in that three-way tiebreaker. It would take them out of that equation, and then it would just come down to the head-to-head between Kansas State and Texas. Uh, te- Kansas State would be the host of the conference championship game, technically, but that does not matter at all. Uh, it's not a divisional model, so it really doesn't matter uh, who is the home team. I have K-State losing to Texas in the regular season, or excuse me, beating Texas in the regular season, which causes them to lose the tiebreaker. But then I do have Texas coming back and winning it all in the championship game of the Big 12. So you've got Kansas in that three-way tie. you got Kansas State at 1-0, Texas at 1-1, and Oklahoma at 0-1, and that's how you end up with K-State and Texas in the championship game. All right, I uh, I think Texas is the big, is the good pick. 
I know the SEC. I know the Big Twelve fans would hate it, and the SEC fans would love it. But I'm actually rooting for a Texas Oklahoma Big Twelve championship game one last time. Red River rivalry for all the marbles. The last time they're in the conference, the conference would hate that. But I actually think it's very likely to happen. Um, all right. Well, what do you what do you have as the overall standings in the conference? You already talked about one, two, and three, but maybe get into a little more specifics of how we get there. Well, you talked about the fact that TCU might have the biggest fall off. I would say that going from first overall to sixth is a pretty big drop off of any team. I don't think I have any other teams falling more than five spots in their conference standings, other than maybe a conference that adds four or five teams. <laughs> so I do have TCU having a pretty rough season. They do have still a really really easy schedule, honestly. Uh, for a Big 12 team, uh, but I have them at six, but I'll get to them in a second. Um, they're technically, well, they're tied for fourth, actually. A lot of ties in the Big 12. Uh, I have four teams going five and four in conference. That is Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, like I said, and a surprise team, I have UCF going uh, five and four to end up seventh in the conference, but only seven and five on the season, so nothing too crazy. Uh, I have Baylor losing to Utah out of conference, which is going to be a great game to open up the season. Uh, I have them losing to Texas, I have them losing a road game, a shocker to Cincinnati, and then I have them losing to Kansas State and TCU, uh, but they still do end up with a tiebreaker because I have Texas Tech losing to Baylor, and I have UCF also losing to Baylor, so they end up 2-1 and one in the four-way tie. Uh, Texas Tech has a tough non-conference against Oregon, but I think that game will help them over the course of the season be a mature team. They already beat Ole Miss in their bowl game last year, so they, they have that kind of experience, have a returning quarterback, they're very confident with all of that. Um, but they will lose also to West Virginia and another shocker. Uh, I have them losing to Baylor. I have them losing to BYU, and I have them losing to Texas. But I do have Texas Tech pulling off a few upsets. I do have them beating Kansas State, which is a big one. Um, I have them beating T- TCU, who's one of their rivals, uh, in a good game there. Uh, so I think that that overall, they'll be pretty satisfied with their season, and I think they're going to have a pretty good season. Um, and then TCU, like I said, I have them losing to Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. Losing the tough games, losing one shocker, winning the tough, winning a few tough games, but really just winning, taking care of business against some of the worst teams that uh, they're able to play. Uh, I, I don't think Colorado's posing a challenge to them. Nichols State is not a challenge. SMU is not a challenge. Houston's not a challenge. West Virginia's not a challenge. So they're already going to start off 5-0, and honestly, in my opinion. That's the reason why I don't think they're going to have that big of a fall-off. And I just think that if they're going to start 5-0, and which they probably will pretty easily, I don't... I don't see why it's impossible for them to just kind of continue the momentum, ride that high, and be able to feel like they can win all those close games. Uh, I don't think they have the talent to actually do that this year, and the back end of their schedule with Kansas State, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma is extremely tough, but they will start out very, very well, and then the middle of the season is kind of what will swing that. If they're losing one of the two, if they're losing one of the three games against West Virginia, Iowa State, or BYU, that's when you'll know that it's going to start to turn downward uh, for them. But they are definitely not a playoff contender this year. I can already say you can throw that out the window. There's no chance. They they, they lost more than just Max Duggan. They lost uh, a lot of good players on that roster. So I don't see that happening. Uh, but then you yeah, have Oklahoma State. Despite the fact they have an easy schedule, like I said, their roster is just not the quality of a top team in this conference. So I have them at eighth, kind of in the middle here, uh, in a three-way tie with Kansas and with BYU. Um, all of those teams going seven and five uh, and four and five in conference, except BYU, who have scraping by getting into a bowl game at six and six. They have a relatively tough schedule to open up their uh, their reign in the Big Twelve. Luckily, they play new entry Sam Houston and and Southern Utah in the non-conference. But then they go to Arkansas and to Kansas 
I don't see them winning either of those two games. They're probably going to start off 2-2, two and two, you know, maybe get a bounce back against Cincinnati. But just overall, it's a pretty tough schedule for them. They play TCU, Texas Tech, Texas, uh, and then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to finish the season. So they have two really, two really, three really tough stretches where they play Arkansas and Kansas on the road, all of the Texas teams in a row with two of them being on the road, and then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to finish it off. Uh, probably going to be a rough year for them as they transition to the conference. Then I have the two old guard teams that are going to be really bad, Iowa State and West Virginia, continuing a tradition as of recently for those two. Uh, Iowa State, I do have going 6-6 six and six and still making a bowl game, but having a really rough conference season, they just have such an easy non-conference. Um, they play Northern Iowa and they play Ohio. I don't see them losing to Iowa. I don't think Iowa is good enough to beat them. O- Iowa State is not an amazing team, but I don't think that the second week of the Cade McNamara era at Iowa is going to be a road victory in a rivalry game. I know Cade has played very well in rivalry games before and is undefeated. In, well, it's one and one in rivalry games at Michigan, having lost to Michigan State, but beaten Ohio State. But I don't think that that roster is going to be ready to play uh, in that game just quite yet. I think that Iowa State's going to be able to gut that game out. And then for West Virginia, I have them going 4-8, and eight, not really anything successful. Then at the bottom of the conference, you got Cincinnati and Houston. I, I was hoping that I could find the more wins on the schedule, but there's no way I can predict them any lower um, than the worst two. Cincinnati's got a tough schedule overall, too. They have Eastern Kentucky and Miami of Ohio on their schedule, which are kind of the only two breaks, but, you know, it's funny that I call those breaks that I have Miami of Ohio tying at the top of their division in the MAC, so that's not even a slouch of a team. And then they play Pitt on the road in the second game uh, of the year, which that'll be a tough one, and if you want to watch it, you have to go to the CW, which is a very interesting uh, channel to be televising college football, but that's a different discussion. Um, they overall in conference, they don't have the toughest schedule, but they play Oklahoma, uh, they play UCF, they play Kansas. They haven't historically fared well against UCF, and UCF has finally surpassed them. They lost Luke Fickle, they lost their quarterback, they lost everything, honestly. Um, and then transitioning into a new conference, I just don't see how that's going to mix uh, for a winning team. And then Houston, honestly, gets a little bit really, um, their downsides are really just their schedule. They play UTSA, they play Rice, and they play Sam Houston. I I bet they are setting a record for most Texas teams in a season played by a Texas team because they play only Texas teams in their non-conference, and they play every single Texas team in conference, which is very hard to do. The only thing they're missing is Texas A&M, but that's not even possible because they've already filled their three non-con with UTSA, Rice, and Sam Houston. Look, UTSA is going to challenge them week one. The betting line on that game is a pick'em line already, so that's already a tough game. Uh, Rice was a team that made a bowl game last year. Sam Houston is going to be tough. They're going to be fighting because it's Houston versus Sam Houston. I, I, I'd assume that would be maybe the kickstart of a future rivalry if Sam Houston can get good enough. And then they play TCU in week three. They have Texas Tech on the road. They have Texas. If Kansas State on the road, they have UCF on the road, which is a game they have definitely not fared well in historically. So... I have them stumbling to a 5-7 and seven season uh, with a lot of tough close wins and a lot of tough close losses. Yeah, well, the good news is for Houston, if they're going to have that um, that losing record, they're not going to have many long, uh, bad plane rides or bus rides home because they're not traveling very far for those games. All right, um, is there a surprise candidate or candidates that could win the conference besides you know the folks that you have up at the top of the division? I think that if you're going to go in kind of the second tier of the conference that is kind of being projected, I have to go with Texas Tech. I, I just think that this team at the end of last year really looked like they were a team that just, I won't say didn't have much life to it, but it just felt like it was another regular 
Um, Texas Tech football season, you know, not not ridiculously successful, just not not necessarily the greatest team out there. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the season, they really just won close game after close game after close game. Ended the season winning four in a row. They went seven and one at home last year and won their bowl game at the end of the season. So I think everything there points to them being a good team. Um, they beat they. I mean, if you look at their schedule last year, they started off with a sixty point victory against Murray State. They played Houston, who they beat in double overtime, and then had to go from that non-conference game uh, to a non-conference game against NC State, who was a top 25 team all year. They lost that one, obviously, but they beat Texas in overtime. Then they played Kansas State. Uh, then they played Oklahoma State. You look at that stretch. They played number 7, number 25, number 22, number 16, number 25 after the first game of the season. That is a really tough stretch to begin a season. And then... Things started kicking in for them. They had already gotten that win over Texas in overtime. Um, but after the loss at Oklahoma State, which was a close loss, again, it was only a 10-point loss, that's when they really started to play better. Uh, they beat West Virginia. They, they had a hiccup against Baylor and then TCU. But look, they stayed in the game against TCU on the road against TCU, who obviously was a playoff team. They lost by 10. They played TCU the toughest out of maybe most any of the teams last year, other than maybe Texas and Kansas State in that championship game. Uh, then you have them beating Kansas by 15. Uh, they won a tough game at Iowa State, 14-10, a real real non-interesting game. And then on senior day, they uh, went in a typical Big 12 scoring fest to end the season, beating Oklahoma 51-48 in overtime. And then they really humiliated Ole Miss in the bowl game. A lot of people had Ole Miss winning that game, and Texas Tech won that game 42-25. to So it, I, I just see a team that they won the last four games of last year. They started off... Four and five ended the season eight and five. That's a pretty good sign that they're going to be a good team heading into next year. And I have a lot of confidence uh, that they can take that momentum and run with it. And then, for a really different reason, if you're looking for a really really big surprise candidate, I'd say UCF. I think they're easily the best team in terms of the entries, uh, the new entries this year. And they also have a coach who has won a national championship as a coordinator and an SEC championship. Uh, as a head coach at Auburn, that being Gus Malzahn. And out of all the new Big 12 teams, I just think their roster, their talent overall is probably the best put together. They have an SEC quarterback and an SEC head coach, which, as we've seen by Oklahoma and Texas, the only thing better than the Big 12 is the SEC, evidently, and probably the Big 10 as well. But in terms of jumping up in, 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 uh, in competition, their quarterback and their head coach, which you could argue is the most important duo in, on any level of football, which it actually, not you can't argue, you actually can't argue that it isn't the most important. Um, those two have both played, you have Gus Malzahn as the Auburn head coach, uh, John Rice Plumley as the Ole Miss quarterback, well, really more of a gadget guy when uh, Ole Miss had Shea Patterson and Matt Corral, so whatever you want to call him, he was he ended up being quarterback for UCF, and he had a really good season last year that was marred even by injuries, while they still went 8-5, and five, I think, so UCF if they have a healthy John Rice Plumley, and also the rest of that team just playing how they always have, I have a feeling that a lot of teams are not going to be ready. Uh, I have a feeling that a lot of teams will think that Texas and Oklahoma are toughest at, are the toughest atmospheres in the Big 12, and they think that no matter what they've seen of, U of UCFs, I almost call them UFCs, um, atmosphere, they think there's no way it measures up to a major conference team, but I think they'll be really surprised when there starts to be an earthquake in the middle of the game from fans jumping up and down at the stadium that is literally called the Bounce House because that's what people do. Uh, UCF's fans are crazy, and I don't think that if they if they don't have a rough start to the season, they will show up in droves for their new, first season in the Big 12, and I think 
a lot of teams will not be ready for night games at UCF, and I think that'll be something that maybe could propel them all the way to the top of the conference if teams are taking them too lightly, especially at the beginning of the year. Okay, well, that wraps up our the first of our four college football special podcasts, um, and it wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be our regularly scheduled podcast on Monday, July 31st, where we will have a look at Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly review of Major League Baseball action and trades. Uh, in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings that are updated every Wednesday, his picks for next weekend's games uh, that are always, as always, have been, were posted on Thursday, and his predictions for the entire college football season, which were recently posted. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.